Today on Blue 58, we've arrived at the Packers' edge rushers and tight ends in our positional review. Both positions featured pretty big spending over the past couple years, but only one delivered big results. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. The Packers made an interesting hire this week. Before we get into tight end and edge rusher stuff, I want to talk about their new offensive quality control coach. And this might not be a coach that you think about all that often, and you probably shouldn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about quality control coaches. But I want to talk about Connor Lewis just for a second because he's got an interesting background. I'll just read most, I think, if not all of the Packers press release announcing his hire. Lewis is entering his fifth season with the Packers, having originally joined Green Bay in 2016 as a football technology analyst intern before being promoted to football technology analyst in 2017. Over the past four seasons, he has assisted the offensive coaching staff in data analysis, playing rules, and game management. Prior to joining the Packers, Lewis was an independent consultant for the Oakland Raiders and worked in the football analytics and information department for the New York Giants. He was a mathematics major with a corporate strategy minor at Vanderbilt University, where he also worked in the football office, assisting the director of player personnel, the director of recruiting, and the coaching staff. Now that sounds like a lot of gobbledygook if you don't understand what a quality control coach does. Found a great article on ESPN about how these guys do their jobs and what their responsibilities really are. Here's the the thrust of the article. Quote, in a nutshell, they're responsible for writing scouting reports on future opponents, often working a game or two ahead. They drop the plays the coaches want in the game plan that week. They put together the practice scripts. They assist in the coaches' booth on game day. End quote. I've linked that entire article in the show notes. It go, goes into great detail about what these guys do on a weekly basis. But generally, these these guys are younger coaches, kind of just getting started in their coaching journey. They haven't really developed a specialty yet. They generally haven't coached a position group or been a coordinator or something like that. Sometimes you will see a guy who's just getting back into coaching take over as a sort of QC sort of role, but generally speaking, it is those younger guys, and they help with all that detail work, putting together the little game plan, scouting guys ahead. And you can see, in this instance, where a guy with an analytics background might have some interesting things to offer. The math background, uh, analyzing strategy from that perspective, I think brings something of a unique approach to this position. And I think it's interesting to see Lafleur going this direction with this hire. And honestly, I hope that Mr. Lewis goes on to become a head coach because it would be super cool to see somebody essentially go from no coaching background or playing background at all to being a head coach in the NFL. And it's not uncommon at all for guys to go from being a quality control coach to a head coach. Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Mike McCarthy, John Gruden, a bunch of guys who have taken that route. In fact, Matt LaFleur's first job in the NFL was as an offensive quality control coach in Houston. So this is not unheard of, and it'd be interesting to see uh, someone go that direction from the Green Bay Packers. Switching gears entirely, Let's continue with our positional reviews. We're going to start on defense this time, talking about the Packers' edge rushers. It's kind of weird that this position group only had four players that took significant snaps in 2019. And I realize it's 
not exactly a super well-defined position group edge rusher outside linebacker we talked a little bit about that in the linebacker episode but for our purposes it's really only going to be four guys here there are a couple other guys worth talking about tim williams is one he was on the active roster for a while but never played in a game kind of was kicked around a little bit um he was just kind of around he never really did anything Greg Roberts, sort of similar guy, real big dude out of Baylor, kind of learning a new position a little bit in the Rashawn Gary mold. He was uh, injured or on the pup list all year. Probably look for him to to get a shot at this in 2020 because the Packers seem to be pretty interested in him. But moving from least snaps to most snaps, let's, let's start with Rashawn Gary. He only played 244 snaps for the Packers in 2019. That's just about 23%. There's a lot about Rashawn Gary that we talked about in our evaluation of Brian Gutekunst. To recap, taking a project player like Rashawn Gary seems like a bit of a reach at 12. But if you want to take an edge rusher at 12, you might have to reach a little bit. The debate is going to be whether or not he was the right guy to reach on. Early returns would seem to say no, but there is some reason for hope. He had 11 uh, pass rush pressures on 130 pass rush snaps, according to Sports Information Solution. That's a pressure rate of 8.5%, which is not the worst thing in the world as a rookie. By way of comparison, Zadarius Smith had 19 pressures in 270 pass rush snaps as a rookie. That's a little bit lower percentage, in fact. The obvious difference is that Smith was taken in the fourth round and Rashawn Gary was taken 12th overall. So the bar for early success is going to be a little bit higher. I think there is a chance that Gary could get to that point. The road is long yet, though. He he has a long way to go. He can do some of the things that Zadarius Smith does, but he's still learning, and he's got a lot of learning to do. I do like his versatility. It's hard not to like his athleticism. The Packers need contributions from him and soon, though. I think that's pretty fair. If a guy's getting taken 12th overall... It's, it's not unreasonable to expect significant contributions sooner rather than later. And sooner, I think, has to be in 2020. Otherwise, you start really talking about the B word with some significant um, weight, I think. That's a year away. Hopefully, things go better for him in 2020. Things did not go super well for Kyler Fackrell in 2019. Or rather, they went more how we would expect after a weird 2018 for him. He played 415 snaps for the Packers defense in 2019, 39% of the snaps. And I think this is more a return to form for for Tyler Fackrell. Tyler Fackrell, whatever. (laughs) It's been years and years, and I've only, I think, just now called him Tyler Fackrell. Get him on the way out the door, I guess. Ten and a half sacks for Kyler Fackrell in 2018. I think that was an illusion. A nice illusion, but an illusion nonetheless. And I think we talked about that at the time even. He kind of fell into a lot of those sacks, or even perhaps more accurately, quarterbacks fell into him, basically. Uh, There's one sack that springs to mind. In fact, uh, when the Packers played the Bills, Josh Allen ended up tripping over an offensive lineman, kind of falling to the ground, and the play was just blown dead with nobody touching him at all. And Kyler Facco got credit for the sack just because he happened to be standing relatively nearby. Good work if you can get it. Not a great reason to uh, decide someone had a successful season. Fackrell actually played fewer snaps and had fewer pass rush opportunities than he did in 2018 this past season. He had 223 pass rush snaps versus 191, again, according to Sports Information Solution. But a bit oddly, he actually had more 
total pressures, just fewer sacks. He had 28 total pressures this year versus 21 in 2018. What do you make of that? Sacks are a little bit like touchdowns. We talked about that with Aaron Jones. Sometimes they come, sometimes they don't. And Fackrell, it it seems like, was at least getting pressure occasionally in 2019. I have to take their word for it on that one because I'm not sure that would line up with my personal charting of 2019. Now, I don't do that on a game-by-game basis, but just from memory, it didn't seem like Fackrell was affecting the game that often. 28 total pressures is almost to a game. I have a hard time squaring that with what we saw from him on the field. Take it as one data point in our overall picture of Kyler Fackrell. He is an unrestricted free agent this offseason, and I think there is a scenario where you would want him to come back. Since he does soak up a lot of special team snaps, he played 42% of them in 2019. But ideally, at best, he is like your fourth pass rusher, maybe your fifth guy. You definitely want him behind it. You want him behind Rashawn Gary in 2020. He doesn't do a lot against the run. Spotty pass rusher. If you want to bring him back for special teams, I think that's fine. But I would prefer only special teams, maybe some spot rushing. But I think it's it's best to just move on. Taking the longer view on Fackrell, though, I wonder if he is a failure as a third-round pick, a complete failure. You kind of tend to think so. He never really developed into much of anything. And a, a third-round pick is probably a guy you're not expecting to start right away, but you want him to develop into something more than what he is as a rookie. And I think looking at the balance of his career, it's hard to really argue that he took a lot of steps beyond where he was as a rookie. He's always been sort of that long, athletic guy who's not really as big or athletic as the testing numbers might lead you to believe. Sure, he takes up a lot of room on special teams or a lot of snaps, But if you're getting to that point of the argument about Kyler Fackrell, it kind of seems more and more like he's just roster filler. And I don't think that's what you want out of your third-round pick. So I think it's it's not that unfair to say he was a failure of a third-round pick. And really, the latest in a long series of failed third-round picks. That is a conversation for another day, though. Moving on to the higher end of the Packers' edge rush depth chart, Preston Smith played 870 snaps for the Packers in 2019, just a shade under 84%. He had 12 sacks, that's as much as his previous two seasons combined, but his overall pressures didn't jump as much as you might think based just on sack totals. Again, turning to Sports Information Solutions, from 2017 through 2019, he had 43, 39, and then 54 pressures in order, 17, 18, 19. Pressure percentages, same thing. 13.9, 10.6, 14.4. Not a real big jump from where he was in 2017 with Washington. You say, you'd look at those numbers and say, okay, well, what about quarterback hits? There's another data point. Did he at least see a jump there? If he wasn't getting sacks in Washington, was he at least getting to the quarterback? And yeah, it turns out he was. 21, 16, and 23, his totals for the last three years. Overall, It kind of looks like the trend line on Preston Smith is basically flat. The Packers version of Smith in 2019 doesn't seem all that statistically different from 2017 Washington Preston Smith. At the very least, he's not climbing very rapidly. And as a result, I think you could ask 
quite fairly whether or not the Packers overpaid for Preston Smith a little bit. Ideally, the person contributing like this would have been Kyler Fackrell, your third-round pick, and you could have spent that money elsewhere. But this is what it takes to play the free agency game, I guess. Preston Smith isn't a superstar, but you're paying him like he's a borderline star. And that's where that saying, you're paying A-plus money for B-plus players, comes in. Saying Preston Smith is a B-plus player sounds like a slight against him. I don't mean it that way. He was very good in 2019, but on the whole, his stats, his efficiency numbers, however you want to put it, weren't that markedly different from who he was in Washington. But on the other side of that argument, this is basically exactly the sort of reliable, steady output the Packers never really got from Nick Perry. Nick Perry was supposed to be that sidekick to to Clay Matthews. He was supposed to be that other edge rusher that defenders or that offenses had to had to respect. And if Preston Smith is never anything more than just a sidekick for Zadarius Smith, I think that's a win. Because having a guy like Preston Smith on the other side is going to make Zadarius Smith better. And even if he's never as statistically productive as he was in 2019, again, I think it's worth just having a second pass rusher that other teams at least have to account for, who's at least capable of winning one-on-one, who doesn't have to be schemed into, into pressure. That's a win, I think. And I think that's what Preston Smith gives you. He may never have 12 sacks again. He may never have 10 sacks again for the Packers, but I don't think that's the point. He's just another guy that other teams have to watch out for. And that, I think, is a win for the Packers as they dipped into free agency in 2019. Finally, Zadarius Smith. He played just two more snaps than his other Smith counterpart in 2019. 872. Probably more snaps for both of them than you'd really like, but they were good. They stayed healthy. You can't complain about it too much. 488 of his snaps were pass rush snaps. He had pressures on 16.2% of those past pass rushes. 15 and a half sacks, obviously. 16 tackles for a yard or less against the run. What do you want to say about Zedarius Smith? He was great. He was excellent. And there's really not a lot you can complain about with him. And so I'm not going to. I'm just going to move on. The big question for the Packers edge rush, rush group comes, I guess, kind of starts with Zedarius Smith. Because his cap hit jumps almost exactly $10 million next year up to $17.25 million against the, the, the Packers cap in 2020. It's up to 20.75 the next two years after that. Preston Smith also makes a big jump. He jumps from $6 million in 2019 to 13 dollars to $16 to $16.5 over the next three seasons. And you don't want to make any hard and fast predictions about what the Packers will do down the road as far as restructuring or maybe outright releasing guys depending on what happens. You never know. Somebody could get hurt and you decide you just want to move on to save that money against the cap. As far as this year goes, as far as this offseason goes, though, I think given these salaries, given the jumps they're going to make, and the first round pick the Packers invested into Rashawn Gary last spring, it's really hard to see them investing in anything at this position in free agency. I could be wrong, but I think if they do, it's going to be a probably a bottom half of the market sort of player looking for depth and free agency. And that doesn't seem like necessarily the greatest use of resources because you're probably going to be overpaying a little bit more even there than you'd like. So with that in mind, we're going to skip the free agent edge rushers because I just don't think it's it's going to be worth our time to discuss that. It's going to be extreme low-end guys playing for the veteran minimum 
or nothing. Now, if you could get a guy like Terrell Suggs, say, to come in and play for the veterans minimum for a season, I'd probably be interested in something like that. That seems like special circumstances, though, so we're not going to do a free agent preview based on special circumstances. I just don't think it's a it's a good use of our time. Tight ends. Tight ends are a little bit like the offensive version of edge rushers in that the Packers spent a lot of money there in 2019 and 2018, but 2019 is what we're talking about, expecting to get big results. But unfortunately, it was not a great year for tight ends. Uh, at least not in Green Bay, which pains me to say as something of a tight ends enthusiast. Now, the Lafleur, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan offense is never, at least it hasn't historically been considered very great for tight ends. George Kittle is a very notable, very obvious exception to that, kind of the exception that proves the rule. In Green Bay, though, the Packers don't have somebody who's 70% as good as George Kittle. Not Jimmy Graham, not Mercedes Lewis, not anybody who's on the roster right now. But let's talk about what they did have. Wasn't super great. First, we got to start with Evan Bayless, who you may have forgotten played 12 snaps on offense for the Packers in 2019. This is absolutely true. Go look it up. No, seriously, go look it up right now. Pro Football Reference, Evan Bayless was on the active roster for five games and played 12 snaps. I'm not even kidding. I know I'm as surprised as you are. He didn't do anything, didn't record any meaningful snaps, but he was there. Good for you, Evan Bayless. That's about all we can say about you. Jay Sternberger, only a little bit more active than Evan Bayless. He had 60 regular season snaps, no regular season catches. Very, very much, I think, a work in progress. There's a lot to like, I think, about Jay Sternberger. He's versatile. He's athletic. Maybe not as big as you might like, but you'll figure out a role for him because of what he can do athletically. The Packers used him a little bit as a fullback with Danny Vitale out in the playoffs. That seems like something that he did pretty well at. He's obviously a pretty good athlete. I think he's faster than he he tested in the mid-4.7s or low-4.7s. I think he's, it seems like he moves faster than that. I'll be interested to see how he develops as a player because historically tight ends have been pretty slow to develop. And he, again, is very much a work in progress. Not a lot to get excited about in 2019, but I think you can see just looking at the whole picture what the Packers like about him. Robert Tanyan is the 2018, maybe 17 version of Jay Sternberger. Played 193 snaps in 2019, which seems like a lot in retrospect. He got a lot of action earlier in the season. Then he kind of had a hip injury that really derailed the rest of his year. Ended up with an aesthetically pleasing stat line. 10 catches, 100 yards, one touchdown. Overall, I think not exactly what we were expecting from Robert Tanyan. And if you're wondering whether this Robert Tanyan thing is ever really going to happen, I think it's fair if you're leaning towards no. But also, let's not forget he, one, played at Indiana State, which is a big jump going to the NFL. Two, played wide receiver at Indiana State, so learning a new position and jumping quite a few levels in competition. And three, had a hip injury this year. I'm not super optimistic about him going forward. I think if there was something to get real excited about with Tanyan, we might have seen it by now. But I think I'm fine with him as a general rule if the Packers, won add help at tight end, and two, give Tanyan another shot to prove himself. Because why not? 
put it this way, would you feel better with him or with Evan Bayless or another practice squad level player competing for that number three, number four tight end spot? I'd rather have the guy with NFL experience who's a little bit older, a little bit further along in his development path, however far that path might lead. And look, it might be that Robert Tanyan is at the ceiling of his abilities. That's not necessarily a bad thing because you can be a completely known commodity and still contribute pretty well. I remember a couple years ago, Justin Perillo was kind of that guy for the Packers. He got absolutely everything out of his athletic ability that he possibly could. There was no more to the Justin Perillo experience by the time he was done in Green Bay. He maxed out what he could do in the NFL. But that turned out to be fairly useful for the time that he was in Green Bay. He was never a star, was never going to be a star, but he knew what he was as a player and could contribute, I think, in part because of that. Tanyan may be there, he may not be there yet, but if he is at that ceiling, I think you can still figure out a way to use him and at least get him healthy for 2020 and let him have a full run at a roster spot. If not, you cut him and move on. It's not really that complicated. Mercedes Lewis played 487 snaps for the Packers in 2019, 45% of the offensive stats. The stat or snaps, excuse me, the stats for Lewis don't matter because Mercedes Lewis is exactly what he thought you would be if you were honest with yourself. The box that Mercedes Lewis arrived at Lambeau Field in from the tight end store said contains one 36-year-old tight end, used to be a lot more athletic, now not so much, will block pretty well, will catch the ball if you throw it to him. And that's basically exactly what he was in 2019. A good to very good blocker, pretty limited in the passing game, but he gets a lot of out of his opportunities because he knows where to be. That just comes with experience. That's Mercedes Lewis. If that's exactly what he was in 2020, I'd be happy having him back. Jimmy Graham, though, would not be super happy to have him back. And that's not really Jimmy Graham's fault. He played 622 snaps for the Packers in, in 2019, 57%. In retrospect, he was and remains, I think, Brian Gutekunst's biggest head-scratcher. Not so much the initial signing, but that he really essentially doubled down on Jimmy Graham this spring. Not only taking his big cap hit this year, but allowing him to collect a big roster bonus, like 11 days or 9 days or something like after the start of the 2019 league year. So he got quite a bit of time to think about Jimmy Graham and the role he was going to play or could play on the 2019 Packers and decided to write him a check for $5 million. That's kind of weird to me. Because Jimmy Graham showed you what he was in 2018. And I've, I don't know if I want to say defended, but argued on his behalf, let's say that, before. He was on pace to a pretty good 20, 2018 when he broke his thumb. Not great, not certainly to the level of the money that they were paying him, but not necessarily bad. But you could see what he was. He was not the athlete he once was. He was pretty banged up physically. Had some knee injuries, some lower body stuff that kind of nagged throughout all of 2018. Couldn't elevate like he once did. Wasn't a threat around the goal line anymore. Having seen all that, why did the Packers, why did Brian Gutekunst think he was going to be more than that in 2019? 
offensive styles or systems or whatever notwithstanding, what was it about Jimmy Graham, the player, that you thought was going to go from disappointing in 2018 to not disappointing in 2019? I'm having a hard time coming up with something. And it's really unusual considering the overall string of, I think, pretty good financial decisions that Brian Gutekunst has made, that this one kind of just sits there like an albatross around the Packers' salary cap's neck. So where could the Packers go in this offseason at tight end? I think the first and best option is some sort of like Avengers endgame scenario where they go back in time to or like to an alternate timeline and re-sign Jared Cook after the 2016 season. Well, I guess not re-sign him. You take him from that time and bring him to the present. So you're not only re-signing a tight end who's actually good, but you're getting the 2016 age version of Jared Cook. So I think that's really an ideal situation. So if, if there's some way that you work that out and can do that, I think that's your best option going forward. Also, um, you're going to want to go back in time or go to that alternate timeline and just, just go ahead and kick Martellus Bennett out of Lambeau Field while you're there. While you're in 2016 grabbing Jared Cook, just go ahead and prevent Martellus Bennett from getting to Lambeau Field and signing that deal. That's really the ideal situation. But if you can't come up with a way to travel through time or travel to an alternate timeline, here are some options, some names I've seen thrown about. We're going to go through three of them real quickly and one guy a little bit more in depth. The three I want to get through really quickly are Austin Hooper, Hunter Henry, and Tyler Eifert. I've seen all three of these guys linked by different members of the Packers media to the Packers. And I think there's pretty decent reason to write all of them off almost immediately. Austin Hooper seems like a pretty low-ceiling player who's probably going to end up in the top third to top quarter of the market anyway. That seems like a no-go for the Packers, who have just spent the last couple off-seasons spending big, big money they didn't have to on tight ends who didn't produce like elite players. Hunter Henry coming out of Los Angeles is, has, has some injury concerns, is not really developed along the path that you'd expect from a guy drafted where he was. Tyler Eifert out of Cincinnati, kind of the same thing. He is perennial, perennially injured. Each of those three guys has some significant red flags, and that seems to be kind of the story of the 2019-2020 whatever uh, free agent tight end class. There is one name who's kind of intriguing to me, but not to the level that I'd really want the Packers to really be in on him, and that's Eric Ebron. Potentially pretty expensive, so throw that one out there right away. If that is a problem for you, I think that's totally fair. If you just don't want to say anything about potentially expensive tight ends, that's fine because he could potentially be pretty expensive. But that said, guys headed to their third team, like he would be, usually aren't like top of market expensive. Jimmy Graham, they're the obvious exception. He steadily improved, I think, over the years he played in Detroit. Had a pretty big first year in Indianapolis, then was down this past year, only playing in 11 games. But if you're looking to get a deal on a free agent tight end, that seems to be sort of the profile that you're looking for. A guy who's shown signs of improvement, still relatively young, and you might be able to get at a little bit of a discount because he's recently a little bit of a distressed asset, put it that way. 
I don't think any of these guys or really anybody on the free agent tight end market is going to be a real workable solution for the Packers. But if you're going to sign a tight end, this might be the profile of a guy that you might look for. A distressed asset. And I realize that kind of does describe Eifert and Henry too. Ebron doesn't have the extensive history that that Eifert certainly does. And it's a little bit more in line with Henry, but still even not, not quite then. A guy who may be a little bit undervalued, who has shown that he can produce in the past. I think that may be the sort of tight end that you're looking for. Odds are, I think the Packers aren't going to be players in the free agent tight end market either. And if they are, it's probably going to be, again, more towards the veteran minimum end of the spectrum. But you never know. And if they do want to go for a tight end, I think those four might be in the conversation. I'd prefer Eric Ebron. What do you think? Who would you prefer the Packers to go after at tight end in free agency or edge rushers for that matter? Let me know in a comment on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you find us. We would love to talk with you there because that's all I've got for you on this episode. I do appreciate you listening in. Appreciate everybody who takes the time to download one of these episodes, especially in the off season. If you like what you heard and want to help us keep things going, there's a couple ways you can support us. First, leave us a rating and review where you ever ha- wherever you happen to be listening. If that's on YouTube, give us a thumbs up. We really appreciate it. That'll help more people find the show. Really, anywhere you do that kind of stuff brings more ears our way. If you want to take that support to the next level, Patreon is the best place to do that. Patreon.com slash thepowersweep, a dollar per month, helps you support what we're doing here and gets you access to a little bit more premium content. We throw something up at least month once a month there. We're going to be doing some work in the podcast studio that I want to show people as we go through this offseason, so stay tuned for that. Most recent entry up there is about our advanced stats and how they describe the Packers' defense for 2019, so check that out if you are a Patreon supporter or if you would like to become one. And don't forget to check out our t-shirts and sweatshirts by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. If you've got an idea for the show or just want to say hi, you can find us on social media or via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. I do appreciate everybody who takes the time to reach out. Those messages, thoughts, emails, whatever are great. I appreciate each and every one of them. Because every bit of feedback, every thought, every question, every topic for the show that you give us helps us make this entire operation better, which helps me further my mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.